Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open them to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 will be our text, not only this week, but next week, or two weeks. But We've been normally been expositing out of the Gospel of Mark, and, but it, your pastor has been very concerned about the issues at hand that affect us on a daily basis. Not only in our little community do we have battles of thought, issues of life, but even around the country. And so I want to address how to tackle mental health issues and help us to understand that this is not something that's foreign even to the body of Christ. I think too often we think that the ideal Christian is somebody who's always happy, happy, joy, joy. And yet life deals its blows, and we need to understand that sometimes not everything is happy, happy, joy, joy, that it affects us when we think about the issues of life. And so the title of today's sermon is Embracing and Tackling Mental Health. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you again for drawing us to your sufficiency. Not only are you sufficient in salvation, in redeeming us and atoning for our sins through your blood, but you're also sufficient in giving us a word, the scriptures that hold truth, eternal truth, that help us understand how to think rightly, not only about you, but about life. And Father, I pray that you will draw our thoughts to tackle this issue in light of a biblical stance, what you would call us to do, how to act, how to think, and how to embrace, and how to come alongside one another, knowing that your word is sufficient and that you're sufficient. We ask that you use your word and the spirit to teach us to continue to grow us in the things of Christ and mature us and sanctify us, to be able to have your truth upon our lips in a time of great need. I think that we'd all agree, Lord, that life is coming to an end at some point. We know your return is imminent. We know that, that you will establish an eternal kingdom. And, and Lord, in light of that, as the world dissolves around us and as it continues to show its heightened depravity that you will help us as believers in Christ to walk in such a way that keeps our eyes focused on you. Be with your servant, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> 
I think from the outset, I, I, I kind of want to tell you where we're going with this and, and so that you can kind of be, have a mindset of what, what's coming. The passage that we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 4, I, I want to exposit, Lord willing, in, in, in two sermons. This morning is part one, and then part two will be in a couple weeks. Sandwiched in between those two parts, Nate is going to bring a sermon next week out of the book of Psalms dealing with some of this issue as well. All that to say this, you do not want to miss the next three weeks, okay? Because it all folds together and it all comes together for us to see exactly what the Word of God says when it comes to this issue of mental health. Like I said, it's a serious topic. It's a serious topic that has consumed many in and out of the church. And oftentimes it is the elephant in the room and some wear it as a badge of dishonor. Did you hear me? Some people are ashamed that they struggle in this life. I think part of it is, is a wrong theology. Part of it is not understanding the greatness of Christ. But part of it is that I think the church universal sometimes looks at the individuals who struggle as the issue and the problem. The issue at hand, of course, is mental health, and that's a very broad term. It's a term that covers all kinds of things, depression. You think about bipolar, you think about all kinds of, even what the world has called psychotic behaviors, it all falls underneath this category. And we live in such a day and age where the, this category has consumed our life. And your pastor is very concerned, especially in the, in the light of the onslaught of incoming text and, and media at the spur moment when a tragedy strikes. And you look at your phone and you, and you look on the net and you, you see these things happening and, and you take a breath of air and, and, and all of a sudden the weight of even somebody else's depravity comes and filters in because it affects the innocent. It seems everywhere we turn with this ability to have breaking news at the very moment a tragedy takes place, we see and hear the havoc and chaos of situations that don't make any rational sense. I mean, there's a litany of examples and each one brings a range of emotions of heartache and often despair and often depression and questions and thoughts kind of enter our mind. Now, knowing this is a very sensitive subject, I will refrain from, from sharing various situations. I don't think I have to share situations with you. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Mental illness, according to the Mental Health Agency, affects one in five U.S. adults. Put that in perspective, that's 52.9 million Americans who struggle daily with mental health. Each situation holds a story, a precious life, a family, a town, a city, and a country. We each, in our own self, hold situations dear to our hearts that affected us in light of some tragic news that comes across our phones. 
And for some of us sitting here in church, we find ourselves in that statistic. We find ourselves in that 52.9 million people. And we would be fools not to think that mental health issue doesn't affect the church. It does. It does, and that is why we need to hear from God about this issue. To gain his perspective on how to understand this issue and in turn how to help each other finish the race. You understand that, beloved? The idea is to finish our faith in Christ in this life, longing to be in the next life because of what Christ has done in, in our lives. And if you're here this morning carrying this burden, trying to suppress its thoughts, I want to say to you, don't be ashamed. Don't hide. Matter of fact, the very functioning of the church is that we carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, that, that we come together and we walk together in the midst of even the dark times and even the shadow of the valley of death, knowing that Christ is our helper. And so just a quick exhortation, the church is here to help. We are, we are here sitting side by side to, to encourage each other, to, to pray for each other, to carry one another's burdens. More of that will be said in just a bit. And so my desire in this short series is to help us understand this issue as a church and to help those who are in situations, and to help them and remind them that there is one who never leaves nor forsakes them, who is with them even in, in the midst of not thinking rightly about life and in things about truth, that Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul. And so the goal is to awaken our body, to reach out each other, and to carry each other's burdens, to help each other. And get this, beloved, the Word of God has answers. It is sufficient not only answers, but for the Christian, we have Christ who is sufficient for every area of our lives. I'm reminded of this when we read Psalm 19, of the sufficiency of Christ and his word, where I remind you up on the screen in Psalm 19.7, that the law of the Lord is perfect. Did you hear that? The word of God is perfect. There is no flaws. It is an errand. It is truth. And it never fails. So much so, the psalmist says, it restores the soul. And that's exactly what we need to understand, that the word of God is sufficient. It has the answers. And too often, when we're in deep despair, we find ourselves away from the scriptures instead of embracing the truth in which it teaches us. But I think that's exactly why Christ calls the body <clears throat> to come alongside and to carry each other and pray for each other and, and walk through these situations knowing that Christ is our answer. And so the word of God is perfect and it has the power to restore the broken soul. And for some of you here this morning, you need to hear that. God in sending his son is sufficient and is the only means not only for your salvation, but God is sufficient in giving us the word of God in to tackle these mental health issues. Now listen, Scripture tells us everybody's got problems, right? Everybody's got issues. I think of Job where Job says man is born unto trouble. We all, we all deal with, with trials and tribulation. 
Everybody's got problems. You understand that? The question is not who's got the problems. The question is who has the victory over the problems, right? That's the question that needs to be answered. Who has the victory over the issues that we face? And, of course, the answer is who? Christ himself. Christ is sufficient even in the midst of the darkest of days to hold on to. One of the promises of Scripture that just overwhelms me, especially in issues like this, Christ says that he will never leave you nor forsake you repeatedly in the New Testament. Repeatedly. You think about that with me for a second. Christ never leaves nor forsakes me no matter what I'm doing in this life, even when I'm on the doorstep of death, and then when I go into eternity, Christ never leaves nor forsakes me. That's the joy of the assurance and security that the, that the person in Christ has, that they find victory in Christ. Such a great truth, and trust that you will see this as we pull this out of the book of Philippians, what Paul does here. Now, there are only three ways to handle problems in life, and I think we see that. We see people in and out of these situations and these ways of living. One is to get mad at the situation and in turn get mad at God, that he's the issue, that he's the problem. People become bitter and their souls become angered. And anything when it comes to spirituality, they don't want anything to do with God and, and they just shrivel away. Second way to handle life is to withdraw, to hide, to be silent, to let the situation eat you from the inside out and try to, to keep everything together. And the third way, and I think is the biblical way, and that is to find victory in Christ. To understand that you are most alive when you are dwelling in the presence of Christ. That Christ has the ability to be the great shepherd, Psalm 23, to be the one who walks with you during the shadow of the valley of death and that you don't fear any evil. Why? Because he is there and he's the great comforter in the midst of life. This is exactly what Paul comes to conclusion for us here in Philippians 4. Let me read this passage for us and we'll kind of dive into the scripture knowing that we're going to have to park this bus somewhere but we'll see how far we get this morning. <clears throat> Look at the word of God with me, starting in verse 1 of Philippians 4. It reads there, <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea, and I urge Sikhachi, if you want to say it that way, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And he concludes this section by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. If you know anything about the book of Philippians, you know it's a book about joy, of, of having contentment in Christ. The, Paul writes from a jail cell here. Do you understand that? Circumstances didn't define his joy in understanding theologically what is right, what is true, what is good. Situations, though they abounded much in the life of the Apostle Paul, didn't affect his outcome in thinking about his course of living and his course of life. And so it makes sense to us when we look at verse 9 that Paul would say, hey, look at me. I've learned about how to live and be content in life to be joyful even when circumstances don't seem the best. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying is look to me because I have found the solution only in Christ. And the only reason I want you to look to me is because of the great Savior I have. I mean, this is not braggadocious here. This is understanding uh, the, the reality of who we are in, with our union in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, if you're going to live life, look at it as you see it evidence in the way that I live it. Why? Because Paul was consumed with Christ and his truth. And so he is a great example here for us to find victory in life in the midst of situation, especially in this whole issue of mental health. He learned, get this, I mean, you could do a little study on the, the Apostle Paul. You know that he went through the ringer for the sake of the gospel. He learned the secret of victory, of what it means to be content in Christ and to have his eyes steadfast and fixed on Christ. I mean, Paul was so content that he writes a book, a letter inspired to do that, but he writes, and then what does he do? He sings, even while he's incarcerated. Utter peace, utter knowing that God is sovereign and in control, even though the situation seemed dire. Paul was so content that he could stand boldly before the Greeks on Mars Hill and declare his faith without flinching. Now, that cost him something. Why? Because they picked up rocks and threw it at him. They chased him out of town. I mean, he could stand nose to nose with, with the Romans, with Felix and Festus and Agrippa, with, and challenge their thoughts about Christ, knowing that full and well that they had the power to lop off his head. That didn't scare him, and neither should it scare us. The victory that Paul had in his life allowed him to be a prisoner of his own house and never complain. Never complain. Yes, eventually his head is lopped off. But you talk about a, 
an individual that was so resolved on his understanding of his relationship of being in Christ Jesus that this world really didn't affect him much. He found victory in Christ. And so he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, you do it. The pattern of life that you look in my life is because I have learned that the victory is in Christ Jesus. Now, you might ask yourself, what, what brings him to this conclusion where he can look and, and say, hey, look at me how as I live in Christ Jesus? Well, what follows in verses 1 through 8 gives us the meat of exactly what this means. And, and, and you'll see them in your outline, and some of them are spread out, some of them are bunched together. That's because I'm trying to get through so many points here. But there's so much to pull out of this text, and, and, and there's no doubt causes us to have greater discussion. Listen, this is not a one sermon for all things. You understand that? We cannot ni- uh, nicely put mental health in just one little box and say this is the antidote. So I expect that as we open up the subject that, that you are going to inundate uh, my email with questions and how to walk with one another, that you're going to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you, can you help me understand how to walk in Christ? And so I want you to get this as much. I mean, it is so individualized when it comes to depression, despair, angst, all those things. And so I want you to understand that these are going to be some principles that we can draw upon, but yet how it applies to each individual is going to be different. That is the case with every truth in the Scripture, one truth that affects many in its application. So let's begin to unpack this. We see seven affirmations on how to tackle and deal with mental health issues, right? Driving this from the text, understanding that it applies to our issue at hand. The first one is the foundational piece. It is the rock in which everything else stands upon. In order for us to find victory in this life, in Christ, we must learn to stand firm in the Lord. That's where you stay. Look at verse 1 with me again. It reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, this is where everything begins. Paul says, therefore. Now, of course, that's pointing back to the theological truth that he's already unfolded in the first three chapters. In the near context... If you look back to verse 17, he kind of unfolds this by saying, Brethren, join us, or join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the, to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I mean, that explains what happened last week. Depravity of an individual desiring to shed it upon innocent life. He goes on to say, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things 
to himself. That is the theological truth, understanding that this is not our home, that there's an eternal heaven waiting. Our citizenship, Paul reminds us, is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for that. But yet that truth drives him in his practice and how he lives out truth and how he walks and how he lives for Christ. And he simply says this, stand firm in the Lord. But simply means your heart must be anchored in Christ. If you don't, if you don't find Christ sufficient in all things, you'll find yourself a fish out of water, flip-flopping with every wind of doctrine, and, and you will be helpless. Literally, this, this word to stand firm in the Greek is estekete. It's kind of an interesting word in the Greek. And it sounds like what? Driving a stake in the ground. He's saying stand firm. That means to stand. It has the idea of a soldier standing firm, not giving ground, holding his ground in the midst of battle. Even with the enemy all around him, he never moves. He stays and he holds his ground. He knows that his footing is sure, and that is the only position that gives him the best scenario to have victory in life. And you and I both know that when we get off the, the rock and the anchor that the rock is in Christ Jesus, it is sinking sand when we go out there thinking that we can do this on our own. Listen, there's no shame in understanding that Christ is our anchor and it is in him that we stand. It is so beautiful for the Christian to understand that you are his. I mean, if there's one theology, and you've heard me many sermons ago, talk about this whole issue of our union with Christ. That is one theological truth that needs to permeate our thoughts daily. That you wake up, you're in Christ. You go to bed, you're in Christ. When you live, you're in Christ. If you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have repented, trusted him, you, have, you understand the significant salvation that he has brought you, you are in Christ. And he calls you to stay there, to hold your ground. Why? Because he knows that is the best solution in the midst of this world to give us the answer and how to, how to live in it. Now notice the preposition that follows this imperative. It is actually the imperative that, that kind of throws and thrusts all the other imperatives. We'll look at that later, but you'll notice that, that there's a preposition that follows this imperative, and it is in the Lord. It's not just to hold your ground just for the sake of holding your ground. It's holding your ground in the realm and the person of who Christ is. The best and greatest position for you to find victory over mental illness or for that matter, any issue in life is to stand in Christ. Listen, if you're not in Christ, you have no hope. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no peace. You understand that this is so significant for us to get our minds wrapped around. doesn't mean that in the midst of life that, that just because we're in Christ Jesus, everything should go rosy. What it means is that you understand the sufficiency of the one who has saved you and redeemed you. The only way to have victory in this life is to be in Christ, that you trust him, that he is yours and you are his. And so to stand firm in the Lord means that we remain strong and resolute in staying in this union with our, with our Lord by exhibiting the fact that he is Lord of our lives. There is such no greater understanding 
that helps us in the midst of life than the theology of that Christ is sovereign over everything. Right? He holds everything. He knows everything. He knows our goings. He knows what our tomorrows are going to be like. He knows the struggles that we find ourselves in. And so how do we stay and stand firm in Christ? The simple truth is this, that we stay in the word of God. Amen? It is our anchor. It's our understanding. It helps us think rightly about this world and about Christ. And we stick there. Listen, you're inundated with a culture that desires for you to move away from Jesus in everything. You understand that? The call of the Christian is to stay within this inspired book that is breathed out by God and and stay there and believe it and to study it and don't move. Don't let our minds wander and spin out of control. I, I think about it in my own life. When we think about other things and the world consumes us, I mean, we get ourselves in trouble and we think about situations that aren't sometimes even reality. Paul says in Corinthians that let your minds be captivated, be held captive by the things of Christ. All that to say this, the reason we stand firm in Christ is because we know his character. We know his attributes. We know his power. We understand that he is a God who doesn't change, that he is solid, and nobody rules over God. He understands that this life doesn't make sense. He understands that. He wants you, however, to understand that he's also the one who, who gives life, and he's the one who is sovereign over life. I think too often God gets gets the rap. He gets the rocks thrown at him. Listen, beloved, he is not the author of sin. He's not the author of hurt. And what he's saying is what the scriptures always point to is that he is in control. He is a good father, a savior, sending God who desires to reconcile sinners to him. And when life starts spinning out of control, he's the one we plant ourselves in, and we don't move. He gives us the reason to have hope, does he not? To have peace, to live, to know that this world is not our home, and that he has our eternity all secured. The term in Christ is all over the place in the scriptures, especially in Paul's writings. I mean, you think about just that theological truth truth swept across Paul's letters. He uses it 132 times. In Christ, in Christ. You are in Christ. The Christian lives and breathes by being in Christ. That is key in our understanding when we think about life, this union, this this theological union that Christ desires to dwell within the life of the believer and the believer in Christ. In other words, what he's telling us is that Christ is our life, and that, that we can have hope. doesn't mean that we won't have troubles or issues or, not, or think wrongly, but he's telling us that Christ is our life. You remember that familiar verse in Galatians 2.20, one of the reasons why it is so precious to us because of this meaning. It has so much great understanding for us. Look to the screen, Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I mean, that doctrine is so important for our understanding and how to live this life. You don't live Bear's life. You don't live your life. You live in Christ, and you stay there. You stay there, and you remember that he is my redeemer. He is my comforter. He is my peace and my hope. And though the winds of despair come upon me, I will trust only in him. When we remember who we are in Christ, and that Christ dwells within us, then that truth gives us purpose, beloved. It gives us hope. It gives us a reason to continue to pursue this life with a desire to give him glory. If a person attempts to live in this world apart from Christ, listen, he has nothing to stand on. That's why the, the world is always shifting and sinking. And so the first imperative is the foundational imperative that sets all the rest of the imperatives in motion here. Christ is always our solid ground. And it's not because of the circumstances, it's because of who he is, right? He is our grace and our mercy and our forgiveness and our blessing. He is everything wrapped up more than what we deserve, but he gives it. And that is where we stand, and we don't deviate from it, even though this world doesn't make sense. And so in order to find victory and contentment in this life, we must stand firm in Christ. Simple principle, but yet one that is often forgotten when life throws its blows. There's a second affirmation of truth that pulls us out of despair and gives us victory, and that is in verses 2 and 3, and I think we'll, we'll try to drive through this point. And that is standing firm in unity. Now, you're going to say, what? Yeah, look at this with me. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, I urge Eudia, I urge Synthicity to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, and I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. After he challenges us to stand firm, he, he calls us to stand firm in the Lord. Paul turns to address two women who are bickering or in conflict. And he addresses them both. He says, I urge you to, I use sympathy, to live in harmony in the Lord. No doubt the conflict between these two had caused division, and Paul's concerned about that. Two members of the body of Christ who have labored with him, according to verse 3, for the purpose of the gospel. They're at odds with each other. And Paul, he avoids favoritism. He Notice that he uses the word urge in front of each of their names. The exhortation is to both of them. They are called to, to, to understand that they need to get it right, to live in unity, to live in unity. And so Paul encourages these women who are beloved with a tender exhortation and imperative to get it right to resolve the conflict, even so much so that, that he, he 
kind of addresses somebody who's unknown here, a true companion, indeed, true companion. He's speaking to somebody here. I ask that you help these women who have struggled, who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, to get it right. It's conflict that too often the body of Christ finds itself in. And it causes great upheaval. It causes us not to think rightly in how to live with one another. I think it's interesting to me that Paul didn't think that these two would, would solve this on their own, that he, he points them out and their names, aren't you glad your name's not there? But their name is there for eternity for us to understand what he's drawing and points to their heart. But this verb urge is, 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 conveys the idea of an appeal, a request, an encouragement. And he encouraged these women who are beloved and tendered of the faith, they're, they're part of the body, to get it right, to reconcile. To get it right. Notice what he wants this mediator to do. He says in verse 3, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help. And this is what's so important when it comes to our issue of mental health. This is the principle, and I think that we get into some degree, but there's a level of it that needs to continue to be unfolded for the body of Christ. You need to understand that Christ has not only called you into the body where he is the head of the church, but he has called his people to carry one another's burdens, to help, to be engaged with each other. This verb help carries a strong sense of physical action. It has the idea of literally grabbing somebody and coming alongside them knowing that they're struggling in life, such is the case in a different way with these two ladies. The only time, time that Paul uses this verb in his letters is in this urgent request. This is it for his true companion to take a strong personal action to bring these two women together. But yet I think it plays such a, val a valuable point within the body to urge us. Too often we ask people, how many, I don't be interesting to record what our greeting was today. What do we usually ask? How are you doing? What's our response? Good? Really? Listen, the superficiality of a statement. There's some of us who ask that question hoping that you won't respond that, hey, life sucks, and it's, it's really getting difficult. To be real, to be honest. That life is, brings its struggles, and it's difficult even to get up in the morning. I, th I think that's a fault of the church. I think that's a fault of our culture. We're nice enough to say and recognize you how you're doing, but listen, if you're really in tune with your heart, you're really not looking for the answer. You're hoping that they say, it's all okay. But you and I both know at times, life's not okay. And we need to understand that that is not a, a woeful thing. That is not something to, to hold our head down. The body of Christ who comes alongside, the call is to help, to seize, to grasp, to apprehend, to, to, to come together. Knowing that in the struggle, you have somebody who's going to carry the burden with you. 
We draw that principle from Galatians 6.2 where it says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That idea of bearing a load, it's not that you take the load off the person and say, I will carry your issues. So what it means is that you're going to help them carry the burden that they're carrying. I was just reminded of that this weekend. We were moving some, some pots and flowers around the patio, and, and I, I tried to pick this thing up, as every man does. We can pick up anything, but this thing wouldn't budge. And so I humbly asked my wife, can you help me with this? And she did. And the ease of being able to carry something that I couldn't do myself made it bearable to be able to move this potted plant to where it needs to go. That is the idea of carrying one another's burdens, that we walk together as a body in Christ, standing firm in him, yet carrying each other's burdens. You want that to be an infectious statement of a church? Listen, people will will come here in groves knowing that if there's a body out there that will care for them, will love them, and walk with them. You understand that? A brother sees his other brother or sister in the Lord that's in distress. You rush over there and you start lifting, supporting. Of course, that comes to the spiritual nature of who we are as far as intercession and and desiring to apply the word of God and come alongside. Sometimes it's just being there and listening. You hear that? A presence of wanting to help. A presence that defines. When we start thinking, and this is exactly what Christianity does, when you're in Christ Jesus, you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about others. The world sinfully thinks about themselves every day. When you think about this world and how it all unfolds, the sinner out there says, you know, it's all about me and it's never my fault. The one who's in Christ Jesus, he understands that there's redemption only in Christ and he recognizes that there are others who need help in carrying their burdens. And you're going to say to yourself, well, what about me? Listen, if the body is doing what the what God calls the body to do, and they see you walking in the burdens, they'll come right along. They'll come right along. Many of you know of the heartache that we experienced this summer. But what got us through, not only our faith in Christ, but many of you who came along and carried our burdens. That is a demonstration of love. That's an act of your faith. That is something that you are engaged in and which you extend by grace to others. And so maybe the exhortation is this. Stop being selfish and start listening and looking and finding ways to encourage each other in the things of Christ. Let me close with this. I think it's a very wise statement. I quote, I cannot know why suddenly the storm shall rage so fiercely round me in its wrath. 
The writer says this, but, but this I know. God watches all my path, and I can trust. I may not draw aside the mystic veil that hides the unknown future for, from my sight, nor know. But for me, I await. I wait because I can trust. Beloved, I mean, what, what straight, I mean, we don't understand the, the certainty of what's next, but we do understand that Christ is the one that we can trust. The writer goes on to say this, I have no power to look across the tide to see where here in the land beyond the river, but this I know, I shall be God's forever, and I will trust him. Amen? Listen, you've only got two of these points. You need to come in two weeks. You're going to hear most of it, and Lord willing, it's only two sermons. But if it needs to be three, it will be three, okay? But you walk away with this. The exhortation is simple. Stand firm in the Lord and stay there. And in turn, let us carry one another's burdens. That's the starting point when it comes to understanding mental health and how to help each other and how to live biblically in the light of great hurt. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning. The truth that simply comes from your word and how it applies to our souls. We rejoice, Jesus, in knowing that you are our firm anchor, that you are our only way to reconcile to you, the holy God, the only one to be able to be in the blessings and in Christ Jesus is by receiving in faith and repentance of sin and trusting in Jesus. That saving gospel becomes the foundation on how we live. As Paul rightly says, we are crucified in Christ Jesus. There's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we now live, we live in Christ. And so may we walk away with that starting principle as the foundation of what we do and what we think. Jesus, thank you for being the stability, our only hope, and the one who gives peace as we will find. And so we trust you. We have great reasons to trust you. And so it starts there and help us and guide us. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ who has given us life and given us hope and given us peace, grace, mercy, forgiveness, you name it. The scripture tells us all these things that he has given us because he is a wonderful Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.